Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let me pray for our time once more. Our Father and our God, we thank you for preserving uh, this story in your precious word. Lord, as we unpack and apply uh, this section of sacred scripture, we pray, Lord, that you would uh, enable our hearts to, to hear you speak and then to respond, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. On a hot, sunny day in May 2019, the graduating class of Morehouse College gathered in Atlanta for the commencement speech, but no one was prepared for what the speaker had planned. Near the end of his speech, Robert F. Smith said this, this is my class, 2019, and my family is making a grant to eliminate their student loans. Jarvis Mays, a valedictorian, turned to one of the deans of the college, and he said, is he serious? Well, true to his word, Smith paid off about $34 million in student loans. On average, $85,000 per student. Years later, one of the students says this, I'm literally still in awe of the love that was given to the class. I'm beyond the word grateful. I'm beyond the word moved by it. Perhaps the word he's reaching for to describe his response is the word love. That's the word Jesus uses in Luke chapter seven, verses 36 through 50. He says, whoever is forgiven much loves much. Of course, the debt that Jesus refers to is not a financial, but a moral debt. And yet the principle is the same. The more forgiveness you receive, the more love you offer. The more forgiveness you receive, 
the more love you offer. And we see this lived out in the characters that Jesus encounters. One loves much, and the other loves very little. Which raises the question, this passage challenged each of us to ask the question, which one am I? Which one am I? Like the characters in the story, our love, or our lack of it, is related to the forgiveness we receive. Because this passage teaches the more forgiveness you receive from Jesus, the more love you offer to Jesus. The more forgiveness you receive from Jesus, the more, for, the more love you offer to Jesus. The story begins with an invitation in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. We read this. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. We learn the Pharisee's name is Simon, not to be confused with Simon Peter, the disciple. We don't know exactly why this Simon uh, invites Jesus into his home for dinner. Perhaps he simply likes to, to the status of dining with a, a, a celebrity. Perhaps Simon wants to assess Jesus' claim to be a prophet. Or perhaps Simon wants to correct or tweak Jesus' message from God loves sinners to God loves the righteous who keep the law. Whatever the specific reason, it's clear by what does not happen that Simon is a hostile host. A guest would normally be honored with common courtesies. A hand placed on the guest's shoulder followed by a kiss of peace. Sandals removed and water given to wash the feet a little olive oil for the forehead, but Simon gave none of these. And make no mistake, these were intentional omissions designed to humiliate Jesus and everyone in the room would have known it. Everyone in the room would have picked up on it. Now in that day, the houses of wealthy people were built with a common courtyard where formal dinner parties were held. It was a common courtyard where far formal dinner parties were held and the doors were kept open so that people from the town could stop in and listen to the conversation. And people would have gathered in anticipation. So as Jesus enters, both guests and onlookers would have witnessed the humiliation as indicated by verse 45. It's an awkward and tense scene. Everyone wonders how Jesus will respond. Rather than leave or address Simon's contempt, Jesus decides to take his place at the table. More correctly, the, set, the text says he reclined at table. The custom was to arrange low-lying couches in a U-shape, right? U-shape, actually, I think we got a picture of it. There we go. They would arrange low-lying couches in a U-shape and a table in the middle where the food would be placed on. And each person would lay on their left elbow and eat with their right hand. Doesn't that just seem like, that seems really uncomfortable. I don't know why they would do that. And, and their feet, as you can see, would extend away from the table. And so, 
As Jesus and the other guests recline at table, Simon's contempt for Jesus results in this awkward silence. Everyone wonders what will happen next. Whatever exchange they might have anticipated between Jesus and Simon, no one expects what Luke describes next in verses 37 and 38. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. The surprise shock is captured by the word behold, like check it out, like I can't believe what I'm seeing. And they're shocked because of who this woman is, a woman of the city who is a sinner. Most likely this means she's a prostitute. As she bent over Jesus' feet, the murmurs turned into embarrassed silence. Because for one thing, a prostitute is not welcome in a Pharisee's house, in a religious leader's house. She would not be welcome. And for another, this kind of public display of emotion and devotion is socially unacceptable. It's important to understand that this woman was there because of gratitude. We're not sure where and when, but this woman had heard Jesus proclaiming his message of grace for sinners. Earlier, Jesus summarized it like this. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. This woman had heard Jesus' message and received Forgiveness from Jesus. Learning that Jesus is in attendance, she brings perfume to offer her love. But seeing Jesus humiliated, she decides to step in and offer the honor that he deserves. Why? Because the more forgiveness you receive from Jesus, the more love you offer to Jesus. It's a costly offer of love. It's socially costly. She's rejected by everyone there. It's financially costly. She pours costly, expensive perfume on his feet. And since she can't reach Jesus' head, remember how they're laying? She can't reach Jesus' head, and so she kneels over his feet, and she pours the perfume and as she pours the perfume, she begins crying uncontrollably. What we would call an ugly cry. And with nothing to dry his feet with, she does the unthinkable. She undoes her long hair and begins wiping his feet. This provokes gasps of horror. In this culture, a woman loosened her hair only in the presence of her husband. In fact, a woman could be divorced for letting her hair down in the presence of another man. For those present, this act would have produced intense shock. But their rejection doesn't faze her. She loves 
Jesus. And she's determined to defend his honor and offer her love. After all, she'd received so much forgiveness from Jesus. Her guilt and shame removed by the good news of God's forgiveness. Her many sins rinsed clean. A life of rejection by people now became a life of acceptance with God. Having received so much forgiveness from Jesus, she doesn't care what others think. She's determined to offer him her love. To call this scene uncomfortable is a massive understatement. More like embarrassing. And everyone expects Jesus out of embarrassment to reject her. That's certainly what Simon expects. Look at verse 39. We read this. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. You've heard the phrase, often wrong but never in doubt. Have you heard that phrase? Often wrong but never in doubt. That probably describes a few of us here. Often wrong but never in doubt. That's Simon. He judges Jesus wrongly for one thing. His expectation of what a prophet is and does lead him to conclude that Jesus is not a prophet. He judges the woman wrongly. Rather than rejoice that this woman had turned from her sinful lifestyle and received forgiveness, he condemns her as an unredeemable sinner. And then he judges himself wrongly. He sees himself as righteous and her as a sinner. Simon was wrong about several things. The truth is Jesus knew what was going on in the woman's heart and Simon's heart too. Jesus decides it's time for a candid confrontation. You know what I'm saying? A candid confrontation. So in verse 40 we read this, and Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon answered, say it, teacher. That phrase, I have something to say, was an idiom in that culture. And it basically meant something like, gird up your loins, pal. I'm gonna speak really bluntly. Like, it's coming. I'm gonna throw a fastball. Gird up your loins. And so Jesus confronts Simon and the woman's common debt with a little parable found in verses 41 and 42. He says this to Simon. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? The money lender is metaphorical for God and debtors for sinners. Both debts in this culture were significant. In that culture, a denarius was equivalent to a day's wage for a common worker. And so for one, it would take 500 days to pay off the debt and the other 50. In that culture, these were significant. Both were significant debts. And Jesus basically says to Simon, Congratulations, Simon. She's a 500 sinner. 
You're a 50 center. Way to go, pal. You should be very, very proud of yourself, right? Sarcastically. You should be very proud. Way to go. And the thing is, Jesus agrees with this woman that she has more, Jesus agrees that the woman has more outward sin. But his point is that both Simon and the woman are guilty on the inside. They're both debtors before a holy God. And their common debt means that neither can pay. Whether you owe 500 or 50, if you can't pay, you're in trouble, right? And the point is, before God, neither the 500 nor the 50 sinner can pay. And yet God graciously cancels the debt of each. And then what Jesus does next is brilliant. Jesus asks Simon, now which of them will love him more? And Simon can't escape the logic. He can't escape the logic of this little parable, and neither can we. And so he grudgingly responds in verse 43. We read, Simon answered, you pick, pick this up, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Way to go, Simon. Good job. And here's the thing. Where Simon focuses on the sins of the woman, Jesus shifts the focus to her response to forgiveness. And the point is, the more forgiveness you receive, the more love you offer. And even Simon gets it, at least in theory. Well, what we've seen so far is amazing. It's an amazing story. And the thing, the reason it's amazing is because Jesus is amazing. He experiences a hostile host. Like he steps into this situation and immediately this host comes at him. He experienced this crazy, embarrassing offer of love. And then he candidly, graciously, and brilliantly confronts his self-righteous host. But what happens next is even more amazing. Remember, everyone expects Jesus to reject this woman. And that's one of several options. He could reject her, or he could kind of try to play both sides by apologizing for her. He could have said something like, I'm so sorry. How embarrassing. Yes, yes, yeah, I, I do sometimes eat with sinners, but this display is just not something I'm comfortable with. I'll have a talk. I'll have a talk with her. But Jesus doesn't reject her. He doesn't apologize for her. Instead, Jesus defends her. Jesus defends the woman based on her response to forgiveness. It's an unexpected, loving, and costly defense. We read it, read about it in verses 44 through 46. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Man, I wish we could do a whole sermon just on that. Do you see this woman? Not this sinner, this person created in the image of God. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. 
but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. This defense is costly for this reason. Jesus shifts the contempt and rejection from the woman back to himself. Jesus defends her by comparing her behavior with Simon's. She does what Simon should have done. Jesus elevates the woman and humbles the host. In that culture, to call out a host in his home was incredibly bold and offensive. In this way, Jesus shifts the contempt and rejection back onto himself. He's willing to hurt in her place. Socially speaking, it's a costly defense. And you better believe Jesus paid dearly for it. And just to make sure everyone gets the message, Jesus delivers the knockout punch in verse 47. The HCSB version rightly renders it this way. Therefore I tell you, her many sins, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Actually, I think that's the ESV. The HCSB says this. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. The woman does not offer her love to receive forgiveness. Rather, she first received much forgiveness and now has much love to offer. In other words, the more forgiveness we receive from Jesus, the more love we offer to Jesus. The more forgiveness we receive from Jesus, the more love we offer to Jesus. As, as Jesus pronounces forgiveness over this dear woman, the guests bristle. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The woman's not said a word, but her love for Jesus speaks volumes. And so Jesus speaks this wonderful blessing over her. Go in peace. Well, we've seen two responses to Jesus, much love and little love. And this passage forces each of us to ask the question, which one am I? Which one am I? Much love or little love? And if the answer is little love, then we must grow in receiving. That's what Jesus says. And the thing is, that's the problem, right? We're all allergic to receiving. And so here are several themes to help us receive. Themes that we learn in this story. Number one, to help you receive, number one, you need to see your need to receive. 
You need to see your need to receive. Jesus teaches that both law keepers and lawbreakers need forgiveness. Both are sinners, right? But that's exactly what Simon didn't see. If you don't see your need, you won't receive. Simon saw sin as outward action. And so he was blind to his inward sin of dependence on self. A dependence on self that was deeply offensive to God. A dependence on self that turned him away from dependence on God, love for God, and love for other people. And here's the thing. We're all addicted to dependence on self. Like Simon, our dependence on self is so deep-seated that we don't even realize it. Like an operating system on a computer, our, de our dependence on self continually, constantly runs in the background, spinning out strategies designed to minimize our need. You minimize your need in several ways. Some of you minimize your need by denying your guilt. You tell yourself, I only feel guilty because I was brought up in a Christian home. Once I move out, I can live by my own standards, then no more guilty feelings. This approach minimizes your need by denying the existence of God and the certainty that you will give an account to him. Some of you minimize your need by trying to be a better person. You tell yourself, I'll never do that again. I'll do better, I'll try harder. This approach attempts to minimize your need through self-improvement. Some of you minimize your need by comparing yourself to others. You say, I may get angry at my wife and kids, but at least I don't beat them. This approach minimizes your need by comparison. All these are self-centered strategies to minimize your need. Your greatest sin is your dependence on self. Your deepest lie is that you can depend on yourself. It's why you don't see your need to receive. And it has devastating consequences. In the words of one author, dependence on self results in this. The lie that I can depend on myself is the only thing that has truly ruined me. The only thing that has turned me into something else. We are not most changed by what we think or feel or by what happened. We are most changed by what we depend on. And nothing has disfigured me more cruelly than my dependence on myself. And here's the thing. Dependence on self is not unique to law keepers. Lawbreakers are just as dependent on self. It's the fundamental sin of the human heart. And once your eyes are open to see your dependence on yourself, you see it everywhere and you begin to see your need to receive. So first, you need to see your need to receive. Number two, you need to trust that Jesus defends 
those who receive. Trust that Jesus defends those who receive. Simon condemns the woman because of her sin. Jesus defends the woman because she receives forgiveness. Once we see our need, we still need to receive forgiveness. And receiving is hard, isn't it? Receiving is hard. It takes humility. And that's why Jesus defends those who receive forgiveness. Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. And as the story makes obvious, the woman's faith is in Jesus. He's the object of her faith. And something significant has happened in her life. Previously, as a lawbreaker, she depends on herself. Now she transfers her dependence onto Jesus. She receives Jesus and his message of forgiveness. Jesus defends those who receive. Paul was a, a lawkeeper fiercely dependent on self. He persecuted and murdered followers of Jesus. But when Paul met the resurrected Jesus, he received forgiveness. And if you remember in the beginning, other followers were very suspicious of Paul. But Jesus defends Paul by telling them, remember he went to Ananias and he told him, he said, he is my chosen instrument. Jesus defends those who receive. The woman had significant sins, Paul had significant sins, and Jesus doesn't reject them, he defends them because they receive. And the question for us this morning, for you, for me, are there significant sins in your past or your present that seem too awful, that seem too unforgivable? With all due respect, you don't need to forgive yourself. You need to receive forgiveness from Jesus. When you do, Jesus will defend you, and he'll keep on defending you. As you continue to confess your sin and receive forgiveness, Jesus defends you. The Apostle John in 1 John 2 verse 1 said, he was writing to Christians, and he said, don't sin. Right? Don't sin. Then he goes on, he says, but... If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. An advocate is a defender. Trust that Jesus will defend you. So re receiving more forgiveness leads to offering more love. So far, we've looked at two themes that help us receive. First, you need to see your need to receive. Second, you need to trust that Jesus will defend you. He defends those who receive. A third theme is this. Know what it cost for you to receive. Know what it cost for you to receive. Jesus offers an unexpected and costly demonstration of love to the woman. He defends her at great social cost. He's willing to be hurt 
in her place. And this willingness is the hallmark of Jesus' entire ministry, which culminates or climaxes in the cross. The cross is an unexpected and costly demonstration of love. Unexpected because when God comes in the flesh, when God comes in the flesh, you expect him to be served, right? You expect that he would come to be served. But Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Costly because he came to give his life for you and me. He came to die in your place on a Roman cross. In the song, you may have heard this song, I'm Gonna Be 500 Miles, a man proclaims his costly love for a woman. He sings this, but I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more just to be the man who walked a 1,000 miles to fall down at your door. I mean, if someone were willing to walk a 1,000 miles to get to you, Would you doubt their love? That's a costly demonstration of love. But Jesus was willing to do more than walk a thousand miles. Your forgiveness cost Jesus his life. On the cross, he paid your debt in full. He paid it all. And what that means is he wants you. He wants you that much. He wants you to receive. Knowing what it costs helps you receive. So see your need to receive. Trust that Jesus defends those who receive. Know what it costs to receive. And finally, recognize the results when you receive. Recognize the results when you receive. Forgiveness is for people who are bound Forgiveness is for people who are bound. Simon, the woman, you, me. This means that forgiveness is not only a debt paid, but a release from bondage. Forgiveness releases you from the bondage of sin, death, the devil, and hell, and releases you to everything that belongs to Jesus. In a word, forgiveness means Freedom. Freedom in God, peace with God. That's what Jesus accomplished for you on the cross. The result, you have nothing to prove. You probably won't be the best in anything. Can I speak to you like that? You probably won't be the best in anything. You aren't the best dad, the best wife, son, daughter, student, athlete, musician, whatever. You aren't the best, you won't be the best. But if you've received forgiveness from Jesus, you don't have to be. You're free. Free to admit your sins and flaws, free to be messy, limited, finite, small, You have freedom in God and peace with God. No matter what happens, you are okay. The results of forgiveness are astonishing. Freedom in God, peace with God. Recognizing the results of forgiveness helps us 
receive forgiveness. Here's what's amazing. Jesus says that you can offer more love. And you don't have to do more. You don't have to try harder. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to minimize your sin. All you need to do is receive more forgiveness. Because the more forgiveness you receive from Jesus, the more love you offer to Jesus. As we close, I want you to practice receiving. I want you to receive this pronouncement from Jesus. You ready? Your sins are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west. Your sins are forgiven. Amen. Your sins are forgiven. And now receive the results of this pronouncement. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray.